Welcome to Epignosis, the teaching ministry of Chris Morgan. May the light of God illuminate your heart and may the truth make you free as you listen. One thing about reading books is that it introduces into your mind ideas akin to the writer in the language of that writer. It gives you an idea how the mind of that writer works and the language with which that person communicates. That's why when you read older books, you are likely to come across older words which are not really in circulation anymore. This also presents a challenge of fully understanding what has been written. That is why it's so important when a person decides to read books written hundreds or thousands of years ago, that one be fully aware of the culture of those who lived in the time and place of the writer, or else it will be easy to totally misunderstand what has been written. What I have just said applies to the Bible. The Bible is a compendium of books originally put together by the Roman Catholic Church to serve as a source of reference for the understanding of our Christian faith. These books were not written by the Roman Catholic Church but mostly by authors of Jewish extraction who wrote on a variety of things from historical narrations to documentation of laws, events, and divine encounters, and then to poetry and even fiction. Regardless of what kind of writing it is, it serves as an inspired document, which in itself inspires the knowledge of God. All the books of the Bible were written thousands of years ago. The earliest books among them were written over 2,000 years ago. So they contain words and ideas of an age and culture that is at variance with ours. It becomes necessary, therefore, to fully study the words and ideas contained in the book so as not to misunderstand the original intent of the writers. A good example of such words is the word glory. This word is not a contemporary word but one that is mostly found in older writings. This makes it a good candidate for being misunderstood. We say it all the time in church because the Bible says that word a lot. Therefore, it became an integral part of our Christian lingo. However, just like many of those older words we use, we don't really completely comprehend it. I checked the dictionary meaning of the word glory and found that it has three definitions. The first definition is a state of honor. The second definition is to rejoice proudly. And the third is brilliant, radiant light and beauty. However, when I did a word study on the same word in the Bible, I found that it was translated from close to 30 Hebrew words 
the most primary of all the different words it was translated from is the word doxa. This word means an opinion or an estimation resulting in praise and honor. This word also means beauty and splendor. So in other words, anything that adds value and beauty to the estimation of a thing or person is glorifying that thing or person. Glorifying God, therefore, is in a nutshell making God look good. It is adding to the estimation of God in the eyes of others by displaying God's beauty, abilities, and capabilities. So when we say glory to God, we are saying added value, beauty in estimation to God. We are making God look good. When people praise us and we say, let the glory be to God, we are saying, let the value, beauty, and high estimation go to God. We are talking in this episode about working in God's glory. Does it then mean that we are claiming God's value and estimation to ourselves? Not at all. Rather, we are advertisers of that value, beauty, and estimation. If we dare say that the value, beauty, and estimation belongs to us, we lie. For what are we without God? Rather, we are like the moon which has no light of its own but reflects the light of the sun, which gives it the illusion of brilliance. Anything good in us comes from God. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 6 and 7 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This scripture we just read said that God has illuminated our hearts to know his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. How then can the knowledge of Christ be translated into glory? We know that knowledge is about being joined to something. So when we say we know Christ, it also means we have been joined with Christ. The book of Colossians 2.9 says something quite interesting and it reads, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now in other words, this means that Jesus is the full manifestation of God's value, beauty and estimation. That is why in the book of John 14, 8, when the disciples asked him to show them the Father, he said, If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ was a man in whom all the qualities of God resides. Now the fact is that God is spirit. We all know this. Therefore, God cannot be known by natural means. Man had, after what we refer to as the call, become bound to nature and 
needed a nudge to be restored back to full glory. Now, being natural meant that man could not actually know God. That's why in the Old Testament, angels had to mediate between God and man by establishing laws and divine government to keep man going until the time of the Messiah. The entry of Christ into the scene was not only to make spiritual rebirth possible, but also to give man an opportunity to meet God in Christ. What does this all mean in practical terms? Now, since Christ represents the fullness of the glory of God bodily, then it means that receiving Christ also means receiving the glory of God. We could therefore say that walking in glory is also walking in Christ. There is no greater glory than the glory of being in Christ. Now, there are many who desire glory through the working of miracles and performing wonders. Now, working of miracles is good if they are done to help people, but many end up pursuing personal glory through it, which is vain. Christ has in him the glory of God. To walk in God's glory, therefore, is primarily to walk in the consciousness of Christ's indwelling. It is to walk without fear of damnation, to live life with the consciousness of the finished work of Christ. It is to walk with the knowledge of our union in Christ and strengthen that bond. Now in Galatians 3.27 it says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans 8.39 also says, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. We are therefore not separate from Him. We are representatives of God's glory on the earth in Christ. So let's walk in that glory and be worthy representatives of it. Though it is great to work miracles and do all manner of wonders, it is not miracles that represent the glory of God as many believe, but the indwelling of God in men through Christ. When men look at our lives, let them give praises to God. And when we look at our lives, let us not see what we are, but let's see what Christ is. Because we are the workmanship of God and the divine project of the purpose of advertising God's value, God's beauty, and God's high estimation. May God grant us divine wisdom in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and may God bless you. Hope you were blessed by these teachings. For inquiry, support, and contributions, kindly send us an email on epignosis721 at gmail.com. You can also send us a message via WhatsApp on 234 We would love to hear from you. God bless you.